belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. Today's message is called Seeing is Believing for February 28th, 2021. The speaker is John Ray and the location is 2828 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, Once again, welcome to everyone who is joining us on Facebook Live or listening to this on podcast. We are really glad that you're here with us this morning. Recently, a few of us had the opportunity to visit the Big Bend country of Texas. I mean, talk about your socially distanced places. This place is way out there and far away from anything else. As we wound our way through the high desert landscape, through the scrub of mesquite and prickly pear and so tall, wisp of grasses, khaki colored, dotted the soil, barely hanging on in the gravel and the sand. It was warm, but not hot, but it was the middle of winter. And as we began to climb the windy road into this isolated group of mountains, we started to see a few signs of the changing climate, a larger tree and a bit more green. And then almost all of a sudden, as we turned a corner, gained a little more elevation, we were suddenly surrounded by pine trees and oaks, even aspen were visible in the distance. It was lush and cool and green. The temperature had dropped so much that we had to pull on our fleeces and our wool caps. In just a matter of a few minutes, we had been transported from dry, warm desert to to cool mountain oasis. This hidden hollow High up in the Chizos Mountains is what's known as a biotic island. It's a remnant of what the whole region used to look like, but this is the last remaining vestige of it. It was so utterly different from where we were down on the plain below, yet just within a few miles of it. Life is like that a lot, isn't it? A totally different reality can be so close to us, yet almost always impossible to imagine or experience. I think this is what we encounter in our text this week, a whole different way of interpreting the world that's impossible for Israel to see from where they are, but truly right at hand. If they will just venture a bit in their imagination and their faith, they will be in a whole new place. Well, and that's the prophet's job to lead them to see this different world. And those words of the prophet are still here for us today. So those of you who have been following along, we're going through the book of Isaiah. We have a huge chunk of text. And this text is grouped together. It's important to understand that chapters 13 through 23 is not a chronological event. It wasn't written out um, along a timeline, but it's an accumulation. It's a compilation of various sermons, various prophecies um, against the the nations that surround them. And that's the ordering of the book is, is that whoever compiled this book under the 
God of the Holy Spirit took all these different oracles, what are called oracles, and put them together in this one space in these 10 chapters. And these prophecies are designed to help enable God's people to look at the world in the right way or a different way from what their immediate experience would tell them is right. We need to get used to that instead of thinking of prophecies as a way of foretelling the future, some kind of mystical way of um, seeing what's going to happen. Instead, we need to consider them as ways of coming to understand our current circumstances as we learn from the past and remember what is promised for the future, not specifically, but truly promised for the future. These prophecies, these oracles give us a vantage point and experience of seeing things from a very different perspective. And given the season we're in of great disruption and challenge, we desperately need this perspective to prepare for the known and the unknown events that hover on our own horizon. So as we go through here, we're not going to read all 10 chapters. Um, we don't have time for that. And, and often, honestly, a lot of it is repetitive, um, again, because they're a compilation of various uh, prophecies that were delivered against the nation. We are going to pick four specific passages, though, that give a sense of what is contained in almost all of them. Uh, these chapters contain oracles of Isaiah concerning the enemies of Israel. Those nations that surrounded and oppressed and warred against Israel, Babylon, Assyria, Moab, Philistia, uh, Damascus, Egypt, Arabia, um, Kedar, Tyre are mentioned here, and even briefly, Jerusalem itself. John Goldengay, who is one of our guides through here in the, the commentary that we're using, says this. He says, most of the people's that these prophecies are against would presumably never know. They would never hear these. They were meant for Israel to hear for the purpose of enabling them to look at the world in the right way. Well, let's look at the first passage. We're going to start with chapter 13, verse 11. And this is what the prophet says. I will punish the world for its evil and wicked, and wicked people for their sin. I will put an end to the pride of the insolent. I will bring down the arrogance of the tyrants. So what we see, and we'll see it time and time again, and it's not just within these 10 chapters, but throughout the Bible, is that God is opposed to the sins of pride, oppression, violence, idolatry. These are broad categories which encompass a number of sins. But that God is always and forever set against them. Of these, the most insidious may be pride. In our teaching team this week, Ellen talked about how pride takes us the furthest from God. And we see how this also, these oracles are, they're, they're about community and about communities as a whole. Primarily, that's what they're against, is the, the pride of a, of a nation or a group or a people. It, yes, it deals with personal piety, but really it's against the nations that stand up 
and exalt themselves against other nations that measure themselves and consider themselves as more worthy, uh, more perfect in a way than the other nations around them. Of all these nations that the prophecies are against, Babylon is used often. And throughout the Bible, again, it is. Babylon stands in for every oppressive system that exalts itself against the kingdom of God, against the absolute truth of God. It's a, Babylon represents every system, government, or culture that exalts itself at the cost of everyone else except for a select few. Against every edifice that enslaves the weak and enables the elites to avoid accountability and consequences. Babylon is indicative of every nation that conspires to conquer and subjugate with violence and manipulation, threat and bribe. The thing about Babylon that, that makes it even more dangerous, it's so seductive. We all want to be on the winning team. We all want to be there with the, the, with the beautiful people, with the, with the winners. We all want to associate with that. That's what Babylon offers. Is, hey, come be part of this select few. Don't be like those other people. Alex mentioned in our meeting that power, prestige, influence, ease, all the things that Babylon promises it all makes humility so much more difficult. And we know that humility is what God is after in us. But this makes humility so difficult, more of a challenge, both as individuals and as a people, as a group. Pride has a way of drawing others in and feeds on the, 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 essence, or the, the presence of community. But make no mistake, friends, the kingdom of God is ever and always in opposition to Babylon in every way. There never has been and there never will be a nation, empire, country, political faction, political party that escapes the judgment of God. No matter how invincible it may seem at any given moment in time. God is not blind. God is not deaf. Those powers built on oppression, deception, lies, and violence will not, have never, and will never stand. Well, that's the first part. The next couple of passages, starting with first, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord will certainly have compassion on Jacob. He will again choose Israel as his special people and restore them to the land. Resident foreigners will join them and unite with the family of Jacob. Later on in chapter 19, verse 22, the Lord will strike Egypt, striking them and then healing them. They will turn to the Lord they will and he will listen to their prayers and heal them. At that time, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will visit Egypt. The Egyptians will visit Assyria. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will, listen to this, will worship together. 
At that time, Israel will be the third member of the group, along with Egypt and Assyria, and will be a recipient of the blessings of the earth. The Lord of heaven's armies will pronounce a blessing over the earth, saying, Blessed be my people, Egypt, and the work of my hands, Assyria, and my special possession, Israel. Y'all, this is hard to understand. It's hard to wrap our brains about how this would sound to the original hearers. This would be like us saying, um, welcome to, to an American context. Welcome to my special nation, Russia, and my brothers and sisters in China. You, together with America, will all be united as one, and you will travel freely and worship together. It would have just sounded, it would have sounded impossible. Or maybe even better, you of the Taliban, you of ISIS, and you Christians will all be together, my people worshiping together. This was, this was incredibly beyond the imagination of Israel. But this is what the prophet is declaring, and this is what we see, is that God is a God of all the nations. This is what this is why he's so opposed. This is why God is so opposed to Babylon. Babylon continually declares that we're first. We're better. We're different than all the rest of the nations. And God says, no, never. All nations are my inheritance. All people are my people. God's concern is equal for everyone. This passage indicates God's subversive message of redemption for all, not just Israel. Where Babylon or Egypt or Assyria or whoever is always just about the elite, the select, the holy, the chosen, the pure, the whatever. God is always about the everyone, the all, the whosoever will. God is the God of all the nations. And Israel, while chosen, is not exempt, not better, not unique or separate from the rest of the nations, but always meant to be both a sign and a symbol of what God's heart and purposes are for all people, not just a special select few, not just the proud, the beautiful, powerful. Well, what is our response? to all of this. This is where we get into our last passage, looking at chapter 22, verse 12. At that time, the sovereign Lord of heaven's armies called for weeping and mourning for shaved heads and sackcloth. But look, there is outright celebration. You say, kill the ox and slaughter the sheep, eat meat and drink wine, Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The utter disparity between what the proper response should be to the oracles in the situations is appalling. The prophet here expects that upon hearing these oracles, upon hearing these prophecies, that the people of Israel, God's people, would repent. He's made his case. He's laid it out clearly. It has been fact-checked and verified. 
It is not fake news. It is confirmed. And yet the people look at it and instead of repenting, go, huh, well, ain't nothing we can do about it. Let's just throw a party because we're all going to die anyway. Is there a more appalling response to these messages than to double down on the indulgence the arrogance, the exceptionalism than the people demonstrate here. Throughout this study of Isaiah, we are asking, well, what was the meaning of this to the original hearers, the readers? Well, what was the meaning to the first Christians and what is the meaning for us? Well, we can understand that to the first hearers, this was both a message of hope and warning, clear warning of what was coming, but hope that there would be restored. And I think the first Christians started to see this. They looked back and they, they saw the veracity of these scriptures. You see, all these pronouncements against these various kingdoms eventually came true. Maybe not within the lifetime of the original hearers, but in history they did. They came true. Not the ultimate fulfillment of the universal reign of God. That's still yet to come, but the pronouncements of destruction on the individual nations did happen. Well, what are we supposed to do with it? How are we supposed to respond? Well, I think in much the same way as those first followers of Jesus is to, to look back and and with humility and awe, see the fate of the proud, the arrogant, the violent. See where it ended. See what happened to them. Understand that the words are true. But I would add also to these, in these specific days, we are given a stark and sobering warning. Friends, God judges pride, arrogance. And God will punish the perpetrators of that pride and injustice and the oppressors without letting up. It will happen. No country person, party, escapes the judgment of God when they refuse to repent of their pride or their ignorance. He says, look, God says, look to the outcome of those in the past. Those who at any given snapshot in time would have seemed utterly invincible. The empires that at any moment in time controlled the world and the destinies of so many people who looked like they would reign forever and often proclaimed that they would, ultimately met their end, ultimately were brought down, ultimately were humbled. And that is the fate of every empire, nation, group, 
but seeks to exalt itself through pride and violence and arrogance. And God is saying, get your knee off the neck of the people. Let the children in the cages go. Quit stealing from the disabled and the widow and the oppressed. Quit profiting from the suffering of others. Quit hoarding the blessings for the elite. Quit excluding the others from the table. God hates these things and they will be judged. But in that judgment, God again invites us to repent and receive mercy. To own the catastrophe that we have created, to face the consequences, but also to receive the redemption. When we practice this in Lent, we purposely give space for our own trauma and the humbling that comes from coming alongside others in their trauma, sharing in their suffering. In Lent, we name the abusers and the abusive systems with clear eyes and courageous responses, all the while confessing our own complicity and participation in those structures. Friends, we have zero excuse. Zero excuse. The evidence is overwhelming and all around us. The only appropriate response is to repent and believe. Along with the practices of Lent at Grace, we specifically practice this with the idea of belonging, becoming, and believing. We start with this practice of radical hospitality as a response to the hospitality that God has shown to each of us. We didn't earn it. None of us deserve it. This experience of belonging to God and to the church is what forms us more and more into who we are, individually and collectively created to be. And from this flows our faith and our aspirational confessions. Look, I know this is heavy. I know this is heavy. But if there was ever a time when we needed to be able to, to drive above the desert west wasteland, to get up above into the oasis and sea, to put behind us or in perspective that wasteland of oppression, violence, systemic evil, which is accepted as normal, and the deadly divisions which are accepted as in inevitable, and the hopelessness that it is accepted as our inheritance, and the oppression that is accepted as divinely instituted, it is now. We need to get above that reality, to the bigger reality, to this Biblical biotic island that Isaiah and the prophets give us. If we will follow, they will lead us to this place where we can begin to imagine something utterly and totally different. 
a place where we can not just imagine, but begin to experience the kingdom of God and all that promises for all of humanity, not just a select few, and all of creation, not just the walled communities of the rich. Will we allow it? That's the question Isaiah has. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.